Jesus was claiming to be the very ladder, the ladder that reaches and that will bring you to heaven. Understand, this is not a ladder you climb. Oh, men try to climb it in their self-righteousness. And the higher they climb, the harder they work to try to earn heaven, the harder they will fall. The Bible says if a man can be saved by his good deeds, Christ died for nothing. You can't work for heaven. You must trust in this ladder. And please note, there's not two ladders, but one. Because there's salvation in no one else but in Christ. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Calling Men to Christ. As Pastor Carl concludes his sermon, we will see how we can all apply this calling in our own lives as believers. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. Look at verse 43. The next day, he, Jesus, purposed to go forth into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. John rescues Philip from total oblivion because only in his gospel is he mentioned outside of the lists of apostles. John mentions him at least on three other occasions. We'll see in chapter 6, chapter 12, and again in chapter 14. And so when the Lord calls Philip, he just spoke two words to him. Follow me. It's a command in the original. And of course, Philip has to decide how he's going to respond. Unlike pulpit evangelism, through the preaching of John that brought the conversion of John and Andrew, unlike a friendship evangelism where the calling of Peter is seen through the bringing of, uh, by the getting of Andrew, getting him to come, some people come through initiative evangelism, just way of life evangelism. Now, there's a lot of talk today of what we speak of friendship evangelism. And some Christians have gone way to the other end of the spectrum, and they are under this false impression that unless they build this long, protracted friendship with some coworker, some neighbor, whatever, that they have no right to share the gospel with them. Nothing could be further from the truth. As far as we know, this is the first time the Lord met Philip. But he sensed here was a man who was open, and so he immediately invites him to follow. Hey, that's the way it is with some people. They're very, very open. I don't know why they use John 4 as an example of friendship evangelism with the woman at the well. He wasn't there two minutes with her before he began to share the gospel. One of the missionaries whom our church supports... The first time I met him on the college campus, I was waiting for an appointment. My appointment didn't show, and here was a student. We struck up a conversation, and I thought, man, this kid is searching. He is looking. And it was a divine appointment, and I ended up sharing the gospel with him. And he came to Christ, and for the last 19 years, he's been a missionary. And I thought, you know, this is a good example right here. Philip, the Lord is omniscient. Of course, he knows immediately where Philip is at. And he knows that he's open. And he just takes the initiative and he says, follow me. And of course, following Christ is always a true mark of conversion. That's really what faith is. The word faith means to trust and to depend on. But the word faith is not separated from a person. I like that, an acronym on faith, F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust him. And some of you here this morning, you've not done that. 
Oh, you've joined a church. Maybe you started reading a Bible. Maybe you've begun to pray. But you know in your heart of hearts, you've not forsaken all, you've not abandoned yourself to embrace Christ. Many, many, many people today want the benefits of his cross, but they don't want him. But listen, you cannot dichotomize his person from his work. You cannot have him as Savior and spurn him as Lord. True conversion brings a changed life as seen in Philip. Philip understands, as we'll see by his testimony in a moment, that he is indeed the Messiah, the only one who can forgive sin. Which brings us to the fifth individual in our passage, the calling of Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel's not an example of outright pulpit evangelism. He's not an example of friendship evangelism, not an example of initiative evangelism. He's a good example of what we call apologetic evangelism. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 to be ready to make a defense for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. To make a defense, to be ready to give an account for the hope that's within you with gentleness and reverence. Now, the word defense there is the Greek word apologia. We get our English word apology. Now, the word apology has a dual meaning in English. It can carry the me meaning, well, you know, I, I'm sorry, that's an apology. Or it carries the idea of a defense, like an apology that's presented in a court of law. Well, apologetics is not us saying I'm sorry for what we believe, but it's that branch of theology by which we defend the faith. If someone were to challenge your faith, would you be ready? Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians who have a very shallow understanding of the Christian faith, and that's why the discovery class that you can start any week you want is so instrumental to giving you that grounding, that founding. But understand, apologetics is seen in the New Testament. It's not just proving things like the existence of God. Largely, it's taking the Scriptures and reasoning from the Scriptures that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, the Messiah, the only one who can save. Listen, you can believe the Bible is the Word of God, but what good is it if you can't use it? And so what we find here is an apologia in Nathanael's call. We read in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That's an apologetic, and it's biblical. He's saying Jesus is the Messiah. He meets the requirements for Messiah found in the first five books in the rest of the Old Testament. Now notice this man's scornful response. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, said what Christ said. He said, Come and see. Now, it came as a shock to Nathanael to hear his friend to describe this newfound Messiah as Jesus of Nazareth. Because Nazareth was a city, it was a, a Roman garrison. It was a place that was packed with pagans, with Gentiles who were idolatrous. It was known as a city for being totally biblically illiterate. Uh, it lacks sophistication. They are viewed as the hicks. And the people, as the Gospels bring out, had a distinct coarseness in their dialect. And of course, the place lived up to its reputation. They were the first city to meet the public ministry of Christ with violence. When he preached in that place, they hated it. And they wanted to throw him over a cliff. And so it was a city that was also known for its vice and immorality. It'd be like saying today, we have found Jesus of Las Vegas. <laughs> it's kind of a contradiction in terms. So Nathaniel, not out of pride or a love for sin, but out of a sincere and searching heart, he asked, 
Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And of course, Philip's response is like that of the Savior. Come and see. Now, Jesus does not rebuke Nathanael because he recognizes this is not some smokescreen. Understand, some people throw questions at you not because they're searching and out of an honest heart want to know the truth. They just want to give you an excuse as to why they shouldn't believe. Not true with Nathanael. He has an honest, sincere heart. And so Jesus, verse 47, saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Behold, an Israelite who's honest. He tells the truth. And in his honesty, he wonders if the Messiah could come out of Nazareth. Now, that in a way is um, an apologetic question. And it's not from a rebellious heart again, an honest heart. Notice, Nathaniel said, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you shall see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this statement given by Christ is given to a Jew who knows the Old Testament. Christ meets people where they are. He deals with Nicodemus in John 3 differently than he deals with the Samaritan woman in John 4. Because Nicodemus is a teacher of the Scriptures and he appeals to his knowledge of Scripture. And as you read this statement of, that he makes about the Lord Jesus Christ, first in verse 47 when he says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And then this statement in verse 51, it presupposes this man knew the Old Testament. Hold your finger here because this passage really won't make sense unless we go back to the Old Testament passage. Go to Genesis chapter 28, if you will. Genesis chapter 28. Now, many of us, especially as children, have sung that song, We are climbing Jacob's ladder, every rung goes higher, higher. But I wonder if many of us know where that comes from and what it really means. Well, what we find in these verses in this Old Testament text is an illustration of a man, namely Jacob, who needs to be converted to the Messiah. Let me set the context for you. Jacob, if you remember, had stolen his brother, his twin brother Esau's birthright, and by deception, he takes the family blessing. And finally, when the dad is dead, Esau is going to get his revenge. And Genesis 27, 41 tells us of the grudge he carried, and he says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And he meant it. And Jacob knew he meant it, so he gets out of Dodge, and he goes to a place called Luz. Look at verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, one of the things that really impress you is all the stones. I mean, they're everywhere. Mountains of stones, valleys of stones, rivers of stone, everywhere you look. The Arabs joke that when Abriel was passing out the stones around the world, his bag ripped open and spilled all over Israel. But here's a man who takes one of these stones and he uses it for a pillow. Now, how many of you have to sleep with a pillow at night? Raise your hand. All right, well, Jacob's no difference. Here's old Pillowhead. He, he needs to get his head elevated to be able to sleep. And so the only thing he can find is a rock. And when you're this tired, just about anything will work. Remember, he's been fleeing from his brother. 
the adrenaline has been flowing. And as you study the geography, in one day, he traveled 50 miles. That is an incredible distance at this time in human history. And so he's desperate for a good night's sleep, and he uses a rock for a pillow. Now, uh, it's not by accident that the Lord appeals to this passage of Scripture because it represents and typifies something. Understand, when you interpret the Bible, you need to first interpret in its historical grammatical context. You say, how do you know that? Because that's the way the men in the New Testament and the Lord Jesus himself interpret the Old Testament. Literally, historically, grammatically, and they interact with the Old Testament scriptures in that way. But occasionally, over and above the historical event that took place, there's a type. A type is an Old Testament illustration that is kind of like a picture of prophecy, something that God is going to do in the future. And there's a number of types that are referenced in the New Testament. And so there's this type here in Genesis 28 that foreshadows something that God is going to do later in human history. And of course, we know that because Jesus explains that to us, as we'll see in a moment, from John chapter 1. So nearly two millennia later, the Lord uses this historical event to speak to Nathaniel's heart. Don't miss it. By the way, Jesus said, the scriptures speak of me. Again, speaking of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament is about the Lord Jesus. You'll find him either in the shadows or in the direct sunlight, but you will see him throughout the Old Testament. Now, this is a picture, Genesis 28, of a man who needs to be converted. We're told in verse 11, the sun had set, and that's literal, but beyond that, it's figurative because it's a picture of a lost man in sin. He's in the darkness, but the next day when the sun comes up, when it rises, he's a changed man. He's a new man. And it's a picture here of the darkness that every lost sinner is in until the light of Christ opens his eyes. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians? The God of this world, speaking of the devil here with a small g, he has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel. And so the Bible describes every lost man as being in darkness. And some people like that darkness because the darkness is more comfortable to them than the light. Jesus will tell us that in John 3, 19. Ah, sometimes we smile at a child for being afraid of the darkness. But how much more ridiculous than a child afraid of the darkness is than a man who's afraid of the light? And before you and I were saved, we lived in darkness. And so we find this man, Jacob, shrouded in darkness, and he's surrounded by a desert. Luz means wilderness, separation. It's a desert, barren place. I've been to this place, and there's nothing here. I can imagine how he felt. Separated here in the wilderness, maybe a little homesick, fearful. He's in the darkness. He feels all alone. He's a picture of the man without God, without Christ, without hope, without heaven. He is just lost. Now, sometimes people say to me, oh, pastor, it's hard to be a Christian. Well, at times it is, but it's a whole lot harder to be lost. Solomon said the way of the transgressor is hard. It's as hard as the pillow that this man laid his head on. Now, I've never heard a, a born-again child of God say, I have deep regrets that God has saved me. Or I have deep regrets that he has forgiven me of all of my sin and written my name in the Lamb's book of life. For that matter, I don't normally hear lost people say, oh, pastor, I want to tell you about the dear sweet devil that I serve. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Listen, if there were no heaven and no hell, and there is, but if there were no heaven and no hell, I would still want to be a Christian. If I had a thousand lives to live over, I'd want to be a born-again Christian. Why? Because the way of the transgressor is hard. So Jacob, 
Like every lost sinner, he's shrouded in darkness. He's surrounded by a desert, and he's sentenced to death. His brother is going to kill him. And it's a picture, really, of the sentence that's upon every unbeliever. The wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but what the Bible calls the second death. The Bible says, In any man's name that was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Now, please notice why this place is so special. Verse 12. And he had a dream. Behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And then God, from the top of this ladder in verses 13 to 15, he gives them a three-dimensional blessing of a land, a place, and a seed. We won't take the time to look at it, but look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Now, before this experience, he laid his head down on a hard rock, and God seemed 10,000 miles away. He goes to bed in fear. But he has this dream, and he concludes, surely the Lord is in this place. A new covenant theology, we'd say, the Spirit is born witness with my spirit that I have become a child of God. And with that, there is a new awe and a new reverence for God. Verse 17, and he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. There, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So against the backdrop of his own sin and deceitful behavior, he has an encounter with the grace of God, and he's absolutely awed by God's presence. So we read, so Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone which he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on its top. Jacob turned that pillar, pillow into a pillar, it was a memorial for God, and he poured oil on it. That is, he set it apart. He, he sanctified it, consecrated it to the Lord. He is so grateful to God that God would give him this dream of this ladder. And he called the name of the place Bethel. El is God, Beth, house of, meaning house of God. He called the name of the place house of God. However, previously, the name of the city had been Luz. That's Hebrew for wilderness. Separation, But Jacob doesn't want to call this place separation anymore because he has found the Lord. And he is willing, like every true Christian is, to make an open confession of his faith. And so this place that once typified his life, separated from God, has now become Bethel, the house of God. He's converted a new morning, and with it comes a new man. Now go back to John chapter 1 because Jesus assumes Nathanael has an understanding of this text of Scripture. He's a Jew steeped in the Old Testament Scriptures. He is sitting under a tree, and they typically did that, Jewish men, when they read the Scriptures. And I would not be at all surprised when we get to heaven to discover that when he's opening the Scriptures, he's reading this very text. In either case, back here in John 1, let me remind you of three important features of this ladder. Jacob has this dream, the ladder whose foot is upon the earth, but it extends into the heaven. Secondly, we see these angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And third, God speaks to him from the top of the ladder. Now, what does the ladder represent? Well, some Catholic theologians say it represents the church, that salvation is through the church, through the ladder that the church can provide. Listen, not this church or any church can give you salvation. Well, some believers who love the Lord, who know Christ and believe the Scriptures, describe this as the pilgrim's ladder, the ladder that we walk on once we're saved, the, the, the walk of the believer. And that's really where that spiritual comes. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. 
Well, that song, though cute and interesting, has absolutely nothing to do with this text of Scripture. Bad theology in the hymn. Look how Jesus understands it. Verse 46, chapter 1. He asked him, Nathaniel asked, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. In verse 47, the Lord Jesus uses the word Israel in one form or the other twice. Behold, an Israelite, that's once, in whom there is no guile. That's twice. The Hebrew word for guile is the word Jacob. One English translation rightly renders it, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Nathaniel understood. The Lord was reading his heart. The omniscient Lord knew what Nathaniel was all about. Jacob, the word meant conniver, deceiver, heel grabber, con artist, supplanter. And so Jesus is using a play on words. Nathaniel, you are an Israelite, but there's no Jacob in you. That was a real compliment. And Nathaniel, knowing that he's reading his soul, says, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, were you, uh, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He revealed in his omniscience where he was. And he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than this. Note, truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending, what? On the Son of man. So Jesus takes this narrative concerning Jacob's ladder and he tells us that there's a deeper figurative meaning to it. Now we just read in verse in, in chapter 28 verse 13 that the angels were ascending and descending on a ladder. But Jesus now omits the word ladder. Why? Because he's the ladder. He is the link between heaven and earth. Jesus is telling Nathaniel that that Old Testament picture of a ladder is a type of prophecy of a New Testament Savior. Jesus was claiming to be the very ladder, the ladder that reaches and that will bring you to heaven. Understand, this is not a ladder you climb. Oh, men try to climb it in their self-righteousness, and the higher they climb, the harder they work to try to earn heaven, the harder they will fall. The Bible says if a man can be saved by his good deeds, Christ died for nothing. You can't work for heaven. You must trust in this ladder. And please note, there's not two ladders but one, because there's salvation in no one else but in Christ. But I learned from Christ's teaching to Nathaniel, not only is he the ladder, the bridge, but he is the channel of God's uh, blessing and provision. The ladder here is a picture of Christ who opens up heaven and brings the blessings of heaven down to man. That's why Paul will write to the Ephesians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And one of the truths that we're going to study here in our new series on Wednesday night on angels is how God uses angels to carry blessings from heaven and some of our burdens back to God. Not only is Jesus the way to the Father, but Jesus is also the way to which the Father comes to me. God meets me through His Son, and I'm reminded in these verses that there's not an angel from heaven, but will come through the Lord Jesus the ladder. Remember in Revelation 8:4, the saints of God are praying, and we're told, in the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, went up before God out of the angel's hand. 
Do you remember in Acts 12 when the church is praying for Peter's release? And how does God answer? An angel comes down the ladder. Lazarus dies and an angel carries him up the ladder. Friend, it's all through Christ that the blessings of God come. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Now, some of you are here this morning and you are a believer in the Lord God, Jesus Christ, because you heard some preacher behind the pulpit expounding the Word of God. Others of you are here because a friend cared for your soul and, and brought you to the Savior in kind of a one-on-one -on -one setting. Others of you are here today because someone, they never knew you in their life, but they took the initiative and they spoke to you, and you found the Lord Jesus Christ. And still some of you are here because someone reasoned with you from the Scriptures apologetically that Jesus is the Christ. Different ways. It's all the same ladder. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a Bethel? Or are you still living in laws? Are you separated from God? Do you have the assurance that if this were your last day upon the earth, if the trumpet of God were to sound and Christ were to come, that he would carry you to heaven? Do you recognize that Christ is indeed the ladder? I'm not asking you, do you go to church? Have you been baptized? Are you a member somewhere? But does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you have become a child of God? Oh, Jacob was converted. And he referred to that very place as the gate of heaven. Over in London years ago, there was a nightclub called the Gates of Hell. And a young man wanting to go there, not knowing precisely where it was, he asked the policeman how to find it. He said, can you tell me how to get to the Gates of Hell? A policeman who was a believer, a Christian, he thought for a moment, and it occurred to him that that famous nightclub was just a few doors down from that great preaching church called Calvary Church. And the policeman said to the young man, go right past Calvary, and you will come to the gates of hell. And as he got in his car, he shouted it one more time, go right past Calvary, and you will come to the gates of hell. Friend, that is what will happen to you if you go past Calvary, if you go past God's one ladder. Someday you will come into the gates of hell. Why don't you call upon Christ today and trust him to save you. Stand together with me for prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to expound the word today. Take what has been heard and help us as your people to understand how you would apply it to us this day. I pray today, Father, for someone who's here in your providence who is not certain of their salvation. We thank you that your word says you can know that you're saved, know that you have eternal life because our debt has been paid in full. You said whoever will call upon his name, Christ's name, will be saved. I wonder today if you understand that Christ took your place, that he took your punishment, that he died instead of you because of you. And all of the wrath your sin deserves, he paid for in full with his own blood. And God raised him from the dead, declaring to all men everywhere that he is Lord. All that is between you and heaven is an act of faith believing that God will do what he promised. Whoever will call upon his name will be saved. Would you in simple faith today say, Lord Jesus, save me. Help someone to do that, Father. Help them to be unashamed of it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877 787 7478 and requesting program John 004. 
Our calling at Search the Scriptures is to lead unbelievers into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to grow believers in that relationship. If you can help support this mission with a one-time or regular gift, click the Give button in either the Search the Scriptures app on our website or visit searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.